0: Well, good morning. I'm Kevin, in case I haven't had the chance to uh, meet you. We're so glad you're with us, whether you're in person or on Zoom. I'm not, if you're on Zoom, I'm curious if you can hear the train or not, like we can. Yes? Matt says yes. Okay. So one of the great resources—I'm um, going to wait just a second. <laughs> Awkward pause. Awkward pause. all right think we're good can everybody hear yeah all right one of the really great resources that we have as an Anglican church is called the lectionary now the lectionary is this tool for reading the scriptures you know the Bible is this large and uh, fairly intimidating book with lots of parts to it that can be difficult to connect all together and so lectionaries help us read all the parts. There's usually a reading from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the Gospels, and from uh, other parts of the New Testament. And so, it, even though in different forms, lectionaries have been used by Jews as far back as Jesus' day uh, to guide their reading of Scripture, and Christians often use them today to guide our readings. Uh, on Sundays, also Through the week, there are lectionaries to guide our readings and personal devotion. And we're going to send an email out this week with a link in our newsletter um, to a site that can help you do this in your own personal devotions. Use the lectionary to guide your reading of Scripture. Now, one of the really good things about using a lectionary is that you don't end up reading only the parts of the Bible you like, your favorite passages and themes, your kind of pet scriptures that you enjoy that comfort you, even though though those things are good, you need something that punches you every once in a while. You end up reading passages like the one we just heard. Now, a a lot of you know uh, Drew Thomas. Drew was curate at Church of the Incarnation up until a little over a year, uh, about a year ago, Um, and he just started a new position as rector at a church in Williamsburg, which just happens to be called Church of the Incarnation. And today is Drew's second Sunday as rector there. So he texts me this week and says, hey, are you preaching the gospel passage for this Sunday? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, couldn't Jesus have said something easier for my second Sunday? (laughs) Passages like this one that we just heard from the gospel of Matthew bring us to the very heart of discipleship. They remind us, in case we've forgotten, that there is a real cost to following Jesus Christ to him being your lord. Now in the larger context of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is sending his disciples on their first missionary journey without him. It's like, you know, a teenager who's just gotten their driver's license and you give them the keys to the car and they go out for the first time on their own. In one sense, this is very exciting for the disciples. Jesus has told them they're going to have enormous authority to serve in his name like they've been seeing him serve. To heal people afflicted by evil and sickness and to proclaim the news of his peaceable kingdom that is coming. But there's one thing that the disciples are not going to have the authority to do. And that is to avoid suffering and pain. This is an authority that Jesus does not give to his disciples. The ability to avoid suffering and pain. Suffering and pain are intertwined with the mission of following him. So Jesus spends a lot of time preparing his disciples for this reality. And in the passage this morning, he speaks of how personal the suffering and pain can be. It's going to bear itself out in the most intimate of relationships. Now, I want to look at the cost of following Jesus through the lens of three words that Jesus uses in this passage. One, love two, worthy, and three, cross. Love, worthy, and cross. Now, first, the word love. No matter how challenging Jesus' words are to hear, no matter how difficult they feel to to receive them, we have to keep them in perspective by remembering that love is at the heart of them. We hear the word love in verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, here's what Jesus does. He holds up two of the strongest forms of devotion among human beings. The people who give us life, our parents, and the people to whom we give our lives, children. And then he says that if we love either of these more than him, we're not worthy of him. Now listen closely though, and notice that Jesus does not say, we are not to love these people, parents and children. That's not what he says. He is assuming the best case scenario that his disciples do actually love parents and children, but he's defining a relationship to him by starting with these most intimate and strongest forms of devotion. But he says that this love and devotion should not be nearly as absolute as the love and devotion that is shown to him. Why is that? And that brings us to the second word, worthy. Jesus uses this word several times. Whoever loves these others more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What does it mean to be worthy of Jesus? Goodness. Christian faith is built on a belief that we are not worthy of God. And that isn't merely to make us feel bad about ourselves. I used this quote several weeks ago from G.K. Chesterton, but it's so good that I want us to get it etched in our brains and in our hearts. Chesterton was a Christian journalist and an author from the early 1900s, and here's what he said about humanity. We are at once worse and better than all things. This balance is so important. As human beings, all of us are beautifully created, loved, and tragically broken at the same time, and unless we hold these things together, both sides, we drift into a ditch on either side. One, of believing we are the scum of the earth, worthless, or two, assuming that we're better than we are. Some of us, though, really do struggle with the feeling of not being worth anything. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here when he says, you're not worthy of me. He's not talking about what humans are worth. He's talking more about what he is worth. What is Jesus worth? Jesus is worth everything. He is worthy of all our devotion. Jesus is the only thing in the creation that never leaves. Unlike a father or a mother, a son or a daughter, Jesus is always present. He's always unchanging. So a love that places Jesus second to one of those other things is not worthy of who he is, of all that he is. We're never fully worthy of Jesus. This is true, but he is always worthy of us, of our fullest devotion. Now, this brings us to the third word, cross. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, this is actually the very first word, the very first time, excuse me, that the word cross is used in the gospel. Here's what's surprising. It doesn't refer to Jesus's cross. The very first time that the word cross is used in Matthew's gospel is not to refer to Jesus' cross, but to the cross of the disciples. The cross that they are to bear in following him. Jesus is telling us that when we love him for what he's really worth, above all else, we will have a cross to bear. Now, for some of his disciples then, this was a literal physical cross. This is how they would die because they fully devoted themselves to following him for all that he is worth. But for all of Jesus' followers then and now, there is an emotional relational cross to bear in following him. All of us are faced with challenges in friendships or in family relationships where we must choose between our love and devotion to Jesus and our love and devotion to another person. And this starts as early as childhood and teenage years. Teenage friends, one Christian, others may even be Christians or claim Christianity, but not fully committed to following Jesus. And one Christian in trying to fully follow Christ is made fun of. And it looks like just teenage fun, but it feels awful for the one who is suffering it. But it gets harder, especially for parents with adult children who choose not to follow Christ. You know, as the culture around us becomes increasingly more secular, we're going to find these decision points coming to us more and more often. The painful choice of Christ or a parent, Christ, or a child, Christ, or a friend. And when these choices come, we can't pretend that they're easy. We can't. No matter how devoted a person is to Jesus, no matter how zealous they are, the ruptures created by our faithfulness to Christ are still a burden They're a cross we bear. Even the rupture is to be born in love. Love for Christ and sadness because of the rupture. Now, in the last verse of our passage, Jesus offers a warning and an assurance. The warning is whoever finds his life will lose it. In other words, if you choose to love others more than Jesus, hoping to somehow lessen the pain and suffering in your life, You will find your life for a time. It will feel as if you've found what you want. But that satisfaction, Jesus is saying, is only a mirage. What you've actually done is you've turned in on yourself. And when reality does come into view, you will find yourself more alone. Having turned your back on the only one who never leaves. But then there's assurance. And there's a gospel message in in this difficult passage. Here it is. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus assures that if he is the object of our highest fear and our greatest love, the rest of reality is going to find its right place in our life. It's going to sort itself out. Jesus is inviting you and me to find our life. To find who we are meant to be. To find the joy and freedom of being truly human. And the way that we find it is by loving him above all things. By proclaiming him alone as worthy of our fullest devotion. And by bearing the cross that is just part and parcel to this journey in a world that is currently turned upside down. Through his cross and resurrection, Jesus is now turning the world right side up. So even though we bear pain right now, we're not going to bear it forever. So no matter how deep those wounds may feel, you have hope that in Christ you're going to find your life and you're not going to bear that same pain forever. Within the pain and on the other side of it, we're receiving the life that we're made for. And this life is nothing else than the life of God himself life in the triune God, who is love, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.